What are the prospects for the ouster of Vladimir Putin? What do Russian and Soviet history in the 20th century tell us about these prospects? That is what we'll be examining in this edition of the Freewheeling Diplomat Podcast. My name is Colin Cleary, a retired veteran U.S. diplomat and current adjunct professor of U.S. foreign policy at George Washington University. Drawing on my diplomatic experiences in both Russia and Ukraine, this podcast seeks to address some of the major issues related to Russia's savage war on Ukraine. Kiev has made it clear that it has no intention of negotiating with Vladimir Putin. Putin has, after all, broken agreement after agreement and cannot be trusted. He's tripled down on failure and has indicated that he will accept only Ukraine's surrender to his outrageous terms, recognition of the illegal annexation of Ukraine's territory. As Putin's cronies keep saying, all the goals of the special operation will be fulfilled. And so the best, perhaps the only chance for real peace would thus be with a successor to Putin. Given the magnitude of Putin's failure in Ukraine and the popular unrest over the mobilization and the economic dislocation resulting from sanctions, it would indeed be profitable for a successor to Putin to be more flexible, indeed to admit defeat and to blame Putin for the ills. Might Putin's successor be worse than Putin himself? I guess that is possible, but given the brutality in Ukraine and the constant nuclear threats and Putin's utter disregard for the lives of Ukrainians and his own people, it is hard to imagine much worse than Putin. Thus again the question, might Putin be ousted and what does Russian and Soviet history teach us? One thing's for sure, the rule of an autocrat is about strength. That was what all those bare-chested horseback rides were about early in Putin's reign. Autocracy doesn't quite work if the autocrat loses in military conflicts. So let me give you the bottom line up front. There are historical examples in 20th century Russian and Soviet history when military defeat led to revolution or overthrow and when the inner circle turned on the leader. Judging from this history, Putin's hold on power is in trouble. Let's recall the quote from Hemingway about bankruptcy, that it happens gradually and then suddenly. That is what may be in store for Putin. Losing power slowly, which we have now seen, and then suddenly. It's clear that Putin is stressing out his system. Can he survive? So, let's take a quick look at eight examples from 20th century of how Russian or Soviet leaders came under pressure or were ousted. Example 1. The 1905 Russo-Japanese War, which helped fuel the 1905 Russian Revolution. It's a good analogy. It's a humiliating failure in a war, in this case with the Japanese, and it was a war of choice, poorly conceived and poorly executed. The Tsar was making expansive demands in East Asia, seeking to control Korea and Manchuria, and refusing repeatedly to compromise with the Japanese. As with Ukraine, the Tsar and the regime had arrogant, indeed racist attitudes toward the Japanese, much like the disdain that we're seeing towards Ukrainians. And the result? Miscalculations, ineptitude, overreach, and ultimately, extreme embarrassment. Sound familiar? Indeed, it does sound a lot like Putin and Ukraine. The worst part of the Tsar's failure was the destruction of the Baltic fleet. The Tsar ordered the fleet out in late 1904, and it traveled for many months, only to reach the Japanese theater of operations and be completely destroyed by the Japanese. Russia was humiliated, and the Tsar's prestige was severely damaged. All of this inflamed pre-existing domestic issues of poverty and gross inequality and led to major pressure on the Tsarist regime. Thus, military defeat can inflame an already dangerous situation and lead to revolution. 
1905 revolution was, in many ways, a dress rehearsal for the 1917 revolutions. Nicholas II was forced to grant a Duma and had to give up full autocracy. True, he remained in power, but it really was just the beginning of the end for him in many ways. Example two, the 1917 revolutions. This really comes in two parts, but pretty much with the same conclusion. The Tsar's ineptitude in managing World War I had resulted in 2.5 million Russian deaths and something around 5 million wounded. By early 1917, the Tsarist army had simply lost the will to fight and many units simply left the front and returned home. The ineptitude we're, wit we're witnessing today on the front down in Ukraine has some reflections of this. Poorly supplied troops, poorly motivated troops, poor command, lack of will to fight. It's quite conceivable that at a certain point of losses, that army may simply decide that they no longer have the will to fight. The result of all this in 1917, of course, was the overthrow of the Tsarist regime, the overthrow of the 300-year-old Romanov dynasty. Unfortunately for them, Alexander Kerensky and the provisional government kept fighting the war even after the Tsar was removed. And the result was not that dissimilar. The army, while initially fighting, ultimately refused to fight. And the Bolsheviks took advantage of all this and seized power. So we see in 1917 two instances of the same thing. Mistakes in war, heavy losses, lack of will to fight, overthrowing governments. It could happen. Example three is kind of a counterexample. And that's Stalin's massive losses in, early 19, in 1941 in Operation Barbarossa. Thanks to Stalin's ineptitude in placing millions of his troops on the front lines, they were encircled and millions were captured and killed in the early months of the advance. It was a devastating and catastrophic defeat, a defeat far more massive than what Putin has suffered thus far, yet Stalin was able to hold on. How was that? One reason was that he had killed just about everybody and terrorized everybody who might have potentially threatened him. So I guess the lesson, unfortunate in this case, is that if you're able to retain the powers of repression, even if you suffer a cataclysmic loss, like Stalin did in 1941, you can retain power. So that's not a very encouraging historical example. Example four is the inner circle turning on a leader, the case of Beria. Now, Beria, the henchman of uh, the secret police under the Stalin's regime, was not the predominant leader after Stalin's death. But he was a key leader who was seeking to succeed, succeed Stalin. And fearing Beria, the Politburo did take action, action resulting in his death and execution. A critical element is that the plotters against Beria got Marshal Zhukov to support their efforts. In a police state, it's critical. It's absolutely critical if there's going to be an action that you must have the power ministries or power elements on your side, or at least some of them. So fearing for their own personal survival... Politburo left over from Stalin, arrested and executed Beria. Could something like this happen to Putin? Example five is Khrushchev turning on Stalin in 1956 when Khrushchev inaugurated the de-Stalinization program. Now it's true that in 1956 Stalin was dead, so Khrushchev was turning on a dead man. But there's some relevant analogies here. The first thing is that Khrushchev used the de-Stalinization and the denunciation of Stalin as a way to blame Stalin for many mistakes in a way that a possible successor to Putin could, could use his ouster to denounce him and blame all the mistakes on him as they might seek to turn the course. Another element, and we're going to see this uh, in a subsequent example, is that 
Sometimes the ones who are cheering the, the loudest in the front row are the ones who later turn on you. Certainly Khrushchev had done his share of clapping and stomping and cheering Stalin millions of times. And it was he who uh, denounced Stalin completely and denounced the cult of personality. And it was, it was a shock to the Soviet bloc with Stalin no doubt spinning in his grave. So the inner group can turn on the leader. They can use that turn to benefit themselves by blaming whatever they want to blame on the, on the ousted leader or the dead leader in Stalin's case. And the person cheering you the loudly from the front row may be the one who ultimately denounces you. So all these are things that could potentially be relevant for the Putin situation. Example six is the Politburo turning on Khrushchev in October 1964. So here we have another coup, essentially, led by the Politburo. So the inner circle can turn on the leader. In this case, Khrushchev was the leader. And similarly, Khrushchev was uh, attacked and overthrown by someone who was his uh, mentee, and that, that is Brezhnev. So someone Khrushchev had nurtured ultimately turned on him. That's why Putin has to be worried that somebody in the front row may be the one who does it. Those ostensibly loyal can get you and denounce you. Another rel relevant analogy here are the grounds on which Khrushchev uh, was ousted, and these could conceivably pertain to Putin as well. Khrushchev was ousted because of his, quote, harebrained schemes and, quote, adventurism. So what did that mean? The harebrained schemes were the Cuban Missile Crisis, which uh, the Politburo realized in hindsight was extremely dangerous and uh, something that he shouldn't have done. And his other, uh, and it could also be considered adventurism, and his other harebrained schemes, like trying to make uh, Kazakhstan and other Central Asian areas into... Uh, another uh, Iowa, which was not uh, relevant. And it's called the Virgin Lands Program. And these were considered harebrained schemes. So they took him out, but they didn't kill him. But if harebrained schemes and adventurism are grounds for overthrow, then Putin certainly seems like he's committed those. The operation in Ukraine is a complete disaster and a fiasco and costing Russia massive amounts of lives and treasure and reputation. So a harebrained scheme and adventurism, if that's the grounds, maybe Putin has something to worry about. Example 7, the Soviet defeat in Afghanistan. Like Putin's misadventure in Ukraine, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan was a war of choice. And like Putin's misadventure in Ukraine, it was a huge military miscalculation. The Soviets misjudged the Afghans, they misjudged the strength of the Russian army, and they got themselves in a hopeless quagmire. The quagmire underlined many of the problems of the Soviet system and was a huge blemish on the reputation of the Soviet leadership. Now, it didn't lead to an immediate collapse or immediate leadership overthrow, but it did perhaps fatally weaken uh, the Soviet system. So only a few years later, the whole regime collapsed. Now, well, it didn't collapse entirely because of the Afghan war, but that certainly was a contributing factor. So here you have a situation where a misadventure in a war a war that is bungled and doesn't have a lot of popular support, can put enormous stress on the regime, and in this case, ultimately lead to its collapse. Putin has already lost more dead in Ukraine than the Soviet regime lost in the seven years that they were in Afghanistan. Example 8, the coup attempt against Gorbachev in 1991. Again, you have uh, a coup attempt against the leader of the regime by the Politburo. So there are various instances in which the collective leadership tries to take out the leading guy. 
In this case, uh, it was the power ministries all united. The vice president, the head of the KGB, the interior minister, they're all against Gorbachev. Normally, that's a key component. If you have in, a, in an authoritarian system or a soft totalitarian system, as it was in those days, uh, the, all the power ministries united, you stand a probably a pretty good chance of winning. What was the argument against Gorbachev that the plotters used? Well, it was that he was destroying Russia through his, in his reforms, as he saw them, in their case, what they saw as destroying the system. And he was arrested in Crimea while he was on vacation. Now, one could imagine the same logic against Putin, that by his misadventure in Ukraine, he's destroying the Russian economy, destroying the Russian military, destroying the Russian reputation, destroying Russia's relations with its neighbors and all of Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, his harebrained schemes and adventurism may, in fact, do him in. Now, the power ministry coup plotters against Gorbachev failed in 1991 because something happened that they probably hadn't counted on, and that was Boris Yeltsin uh, organizing an up a popular uprising against the coup. So it wasn't really Gorbachev who was able to do it, but it was Yeltsin. But from that position of popular strength, Yeltsin ultimately rejected Gorbachev, and the Soviet Union ceased to exist a few months later. So, we've looked at eight cases, and what conclusions can we draw? Well, the early cases with the Tsarist time indicate that military failures certainly can put major stress on the system and ultimately lead to its overthrow. We've also seen that in the Soviet period, there were multiple instances where the collective leadership did take action to take out or try to take out the leader. It's been said that while history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, history often rhymes. In this case, Putin might have reason for concern. Of course, Putin has taken great pains to insulate himself from a possible coup. He has established a Rosguardia, or a basically a Praetorian guard to protect him of massive size. But we've seen, looking at Soviet history in particular, that sometimes the person in the front row cheering you or expressing the greatest support for you is the one who ultimately might take you on. How firm is Putin's support in the power ministries? Of course, it's hard to know, but if one thinks back to February of this year at the initial time right before the invasion, Putin held that strange meeting, not of the Politburo, but of the National Security Council. Recall how he berated Narishkin, the head of uh, the Foreign Intelligence Service. Narishkin was clearly uncomfortable, unnerved, and didn't seem simpatico with what Putin was doing, and didn't appreciate being berated in that way. It could be that Putin's imagining himself as the czar and his attitudes over these years have alienated key members of the Siloviki, the power ministries. Why is Putin so untouchable anyway? What is he really? I mean, after all, he was a moderately successful KGB lieutenant colonel, not even a senior officer, whose main assignment was a not very distinguished one to Dresden. Putin was successful over these decades in building up his dictatorial system, but the elements of that, the fundamental elements, are starting to break down. The oligarchs can't be happy. The power ministries can't be happy as they see the prestige and power of Russia being bled away. And now the regular public can't be happy with this failed mobilization. Putin has failed in all of his key calculations. He failed in his estimation of the Russian army's success. He failed in his estimation of the prowess of the Ukrainian forces, and he failed in his estimation of how tight the Europeans would be and the Americans with the Ukrainians. And now he's tripling down on failure. His decision to annex the four oblasts, Zaporizhia, Kherson, Luhansk, and Donetsk, is indeed a fateful one, because it removes 
pretty much any avenue for negotiation. Putin is tripling down on failure, and he will only accept surrender from the Ukrainian side. He's annexing regions of Ukraine that he doesn't even control, and while his army is on the run. He's scaring the West, but he's also scaring his own power ministries, very likely, and certainly the Chinese and the Indians and other elements by his repeated nuclear threats. The Ukrainians won't deal with him, and he won't deal with the Ukrainians. Bottom line, there really is no prospect of any negotiated settlement in this war unless Putin is gone. There are certainly in history many examples where dictators commit huge errors but are able to remain in power. A dictatorship that keeps control of the army and the secret police and the media can withstand enormous popular discontent. But as we've seen in the case of Russia and the Soviet Union, there are instances where failure in the military sphere has resulted in change of government. And we've seen in various examples where the Politburo and the inner circle has turned in the Soviet period on the leader. Putin has really left little alternative. He must go if there's to be any chance at some sort of peaceful settlement. Putin may very well not be able to survive if Ukrainian forces are able to push Russian forces out of the four illegally annexed areas. It's hard to imagine how Putin could paper over such an incredible failure. And if, in the light of that failure, he, he looks seriously at the nuclear option, it is, it is possible, hard to say, but it's certainly possible that the Siloviki, the power ministries, may step in. One thing is absolutely clear. Putin's terms are completely unacceptable to Ukraine. There really can be no peace while Putin is in power. We can only hope then, as we said at the outset, that, as Hemingway indicated, bankruptcy occurs slowly and then suddenly. Hopefully that will be the case with Putin. We're seeing this slowly now in many instances. Putin is weaker. He's losing his authority. Let's hope the past in this case is prologue. Well, that's it for this edition of the Free Willing Diplomat Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.